everybody. I uh, hope you've had a great week. Awesome to be back in the Word again. Awesome to be back in Colossians. Really been enjoying this. Uh, kind of talking about knowing who you are. And we're going to keep going today uh, and into next week. And we'll be soon finished with this. Uh, and then moving on to something else. If, uh, if you've been tracking with us, that's awesome. If you want to go back and listen, all of them are online. You can find the uh, previous messages on the same place where you're finding this, YouTube, social media, uh, or website, wherever. Um, but mainly, we would love to hear from you. So if you get on there, uh, hit us up, man. Say hi, say hello, send us a message, send us a comment, whatever. Just connect with us, particularly if you're in the East Valley. We're in Tempe, Arizona. And so if you're in the East Valley somewhere, we would love to know uh, how we can pray for you, love you, connect with you, uh, maybe even provide uh, a church family, a home where you feel comfortable because our whole focus is God's Word. That's where we live. That's what we love. So that's where we're going today, Colossians chapter 4. And um, again, this is not church. I say this every week. It's not church. This is just me unpacking the truth in God's Word here. It's His Word, not mine. And then we'll uh, talk about it tonight. So again, if you want to come join us, shout at us online. We'll tell you how to find us in Tempe, and you can come hang out. Uh, we meet on Sunday evenings uh, for a couple hours or less and spend some time just munching, hanging out, and uh, then praying pretty intentionally for some things and then getting into the Word. So, And this will be what we're talking about. So go to Colossians chapter 4. Verse 2, I'm going to read it and then we'll get in. Verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you, as always, for your word. It's so awesome. God, I thank you that um, my responsibility before you is to open it up and to pour it out. I don't have to write it. I don't have to perfect it. I don't have to do any of that. I just... Open it up and pour it out. It's amazing. I love what I see in your word. I love what you teach and show me. And I pray, God, that you help me be able to um, communicate that well so that others will see and be excited about what you have to say, who you are, what an amazing, incredible God you are. Lord, I pray that you guide our steps, that you speak to us so that we can hear you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You probably heard the phrase... In the past, uh, this is America, speak English or go home. Maybe not. Maybe that's only in the South. I don't know. But I've heard it plenty of times. Uh, I've never said it, but I know friends who've said that. It's America. You need to speak English or go home. What if you were an American, like you were born and raised here, but you'd not thoroughly learned the language for whatever reason? Maybe your family's uh, immigrated or whatever, but you haven't learned English yet. I meant, listen... <laughs> I'm from the South, and I know people in the South that I would argue right now, I could probably, even though they were born and raised in America, I could probably make the same statement with them. Um, but 
How would you feel hearing that? Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. How would you feel hearing that statement said to you? Maybe you desperately want to learn. You know, maybe you want to be a part of this country. You just don't know the language. Uh, imagine, just put yourself in their position for a minute, whoever this is. Just put yourself in their position, position for a minute. Imagine seven out of ten words that you say, nobody knows what you're talking about. It's a mystery to everybody else. Seven out of ten words that you say. Uh, what would you do to help them understand? Go draw them a little picture to try to help them see it. You're going to act it out. You're going to use some symbols somewhere with your hands. You're going to make illustrations out of objects and stack things up to try to communicate. Uh, you know, or are you just going to sit at home and not leave your house until you know the language perfectly? How long is gonna you gonna have to wait? At what point is it gonna be good enough so that you can start your life? Obviously, what if your job depends on it? You gotta feed your family, right? It becomes a big deal. Now, imagine. Now, listen to me. Imagine now. Imagine what if someone's eternity depended on you knowing? Huh? What if someone else's eternity depended on you knowing the language in other words your ability to to communicate with them in their language was potentially going to determine where they spend eternity what would you do about it then would you go get a phd in their language first or would you just like try to get the most basics you can get so you can just spit something out and get it out there uh or worse what would you just say, okay, well, let me get this one statement. I'll just spit it out. I'll leave, and I'm good. It's on them now. It's their problem. Or you know, as long as uh, some people will come up with huge phrases and long, strong out things, nobody knows what you're saying by the time you get to the end of it. Which one is it? You know, what? How do you approach it? The whole learn the language or go home. Turns into learn the Bible or go to hell. You know, learn the language or go home becomes learn the Bible or go to hell. So today we're going to look at the power that's in your words, okay? The power that's in your words. And here Paul's explaining that his greatest desire is not for freedom from prison, because he is there, but for the ability to clearly communicate the gospel. Think about that for a second. And I, and I hope, just as Paul tells the Colossians here with what we're reading, that the subject of our prayers, this, our walk, uh, and especially our talk, is to clearly communicate the gospel of Christ. Not primarily for our own well-being, but to clearly communicate the gospel. So power in your words here we're going to look at through two things. Speaking with clarity and speaking with spice. And I'll explain what those things are. Power in your words through speaking with clarity and speaking with spice. But first, when I say power in your words, if you're looking for a, to be a fantastic public speaker in general, or you're trying to develop skills to motivate people to do things, or you're looking for a magic spell that you can spit out of your mouth and make things happen, uh, you know what? You're 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 not in the right, you're clearly not in the right discussion here. This is not that kind of talk, all right? The entire context of what Paul is saying when he's talking about the power in your words is God's word, 
That's the whole context for it. So if you're looking for how you can be better at sharing God's word, then this is gold, what we're looking at right here. And there might be some practical applications that are related to public speaking or that kind of thing in general. But Paul's point is this. Power in your words comes from prayer. All right? And then making his words your words. And then speaking them with clarity and spice. Okay? Comes power in your words comes from prayer, then making his words your words, and then speaking them with clarity and with spice. So let's look at speaking with clarity first. Uh, Colossians 4 verse 2, he says, continue steadfastly. That means like diligently devote yourself here, courageously immovable. These are all words that you can pull from that, from that continue steadfastly. Diligently devote yourself, courageously immovable. In prayer, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Staying awake is what that means, being watchful in it, like guarding, keeping watch, staying awake with thanksgiving. Notice that Paul doesn't give them a step-by-step program here right out of the gun to improve their speaking skills. Uh, He tells them to pray. Tells them to pray. And what kind of prayer is he talking about here? Diligent prayer, devoted prayer, courageous prayer, watchful prayer, staying awake. One of the best illustrations of this actually comes straight from the Word of God. I don't have to give you a story because there's a perfect story in the text of the Bible. Matthew 26, uh, Jesus' moments from going to the uh, going on trial and, and then to the cross. And in Matthew 26, verse 38. It says, then he, Jesus, said to them, Peter, James, and John, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. There's that language that Paul was using, watchful in it. Watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. They passed out. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? There again, watch with me. Same idea, watch with me. Verse 41, watch and pray that you, he says, may not enter into temptation. Not that Jesus won't, but that you won't. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. There it is again. My father, if this cannot pass, if this, excuse me, yeah, my father, if this cannot pass until, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed again for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Look, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us get going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, there's a lot of other stuff going on in there. Um, but I wanted to point it out because in the general sense, it paints a picture of what Paul is talking about when he uses words like be watchful, be steadfast, continue, continue steadfast in prayer. That's the picture. Imagine the imagery of what Jesus is trying to talk through with his disciples in asking them to watch with him as he prays. That's the idea. Again, Paul links prayer with thanksgiving there back in, in verse 2. 
Uh, even prayer itself should be reason for thanksgiving. Deuteronomy 4, 7, one of my favorite verses. I've probably mentioned it before, but he says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Man, we should eat. that's basically saying God draws near when we pray. Who else has that? Reason for thank, to be thankful. But Paul's challenging them here. He's intentional about them praying. Intentional about it. This is a very intentional statement he's making. Because, just like with Jesus, there's a spiritual battle in prayer. And they're going to need prayer for the spiritual battles that they have ahead. And they already need it for the battles they have now. That's why he's saying continue in it. And then Paul asks for the same level of spiritual warfare and praying because he needs it. Uh, or spiritual, or, or excuse me, he asked for the same level of prayer because of spiritual warfare, and he needs it here. Look at verse 3, um, Colossians 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door, and us, he's talking about him and, and the disciples, his disciples that are with him, and, and there's a list, you'll see some of these later, but just for the purpose of us, that's who he's talking about, the ones that are with him. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in a prison that I may make it clear, clear as manifest or visible, that I can make it seen. It's the idea that you don't see it, but now it's standing there. That's what he's saying about the word, which is how I ought to speak, he says. Um, Notice again. Paul's focusing on sharing the gospel here is prayer and seeing God respond. Again, the approach to this whole thing is I need prayer. I need you to join me in prayer that God will act. Not by listing some bullet points that you need to go over in order to make it happen. He's not coming up. I'm not hating. I'm just saying he's not coming up with some creative acronym for preaching the gospel here. All right, he's not coming up with some handy little bracelet. I'm not hating him, just saying. He doesn't have a fancy evangelism cube that flips sides and draws people. He doesn't, not, not that. He doesn't have a track. He doesn't have a booklet. He's not any of those things. Paul asked God to open the door of opportunity here. Paul asked God for the ability to make it clear. And Paul asks the Colossians, them, He asked them to ask God on his behalf. Join me in asking God for this. The open door and the ability to make it clear. How do you help people understand? How do you help people see it? Do you? Clarity comes from God. Clarity comes from God, but it also requires humility in your words. I'll never forget being overseas the first time uh, and beginning to learn how to speak through a translator in Ukraine. And I had a fantastic translator, uh, an amazing, incredibly gifted woman who did it full time and was a fantastic translator there. Thank goodness, because I was brand new to it and terrible at it. And one thing I realized really quick was that she would get where she would flow with me really good, but I realized that I, it was to me it was more important to me 
after the first day or two, I realized that I wanted her to communicate what I was trying to say more than I wanted to just get through the notes or get through the bullet points. You understand what I'm saying? I wanted people to understand. This is what I'm trying to get at. I wanted pe- I'm struggling to say it now. <laughs> but I wanted people to understand. I wanted to be clear in what I was trying to say more than I cared about being professional or not having a weird moment between me and her on the stage. I want if if she's just repeating everything I say, but I'm not making sense, then I want her to stop me and help me understand what I need to do to make sense. All right? Because for me, I would rather communicate than preach. Doesn't matter if I get all five points out if three of the five points aren't making sense when they're translated. Does that make sense? <laughs> Paul's asking for clarity here. The most important rule to Paul in preaching the, in preaching the gospel or teaching it is that it is shared and understood. That, that's what he wanted, that they have clarity. That it doesn't matter if he says a million things. If, if one thing they get, it needs to be the gospel. And that's where he's at. Let's clear all the other stuff out of there so that they hear that. Great quote from uh, a couple of authors, uh, Phil Campbell, Gary Miller. They wrote a book called Saving Eutychus. You can look it up in your own time. It's a creative name, but it's a good book, uh, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. <laughs> uh, but they, they got a quote in there. He said, it's easier for listeners to catch a baseball than a handful of sand. Great point. It's easier to catch a baseball than a handful of sand. You give them tons of information, it just all runs through their fingers, and maybe they have some of it. But a baseball, one solid piece of truth. That's where Paul's at. Clarity. Again, note that uh, here in Colossians, Paul's asking for a door to open, not so that he can escape. Remember, he's in prison. Uh, he, in fact, he's in prison for the very thing he's asking for them to pray for. <laughs> he's in prison asking them to pray for the very thing that got him in prison. But the door he's looking for, the, the prayer he has here, it's not for him to exit. It's for God's word to enter. The open door is not so that Paul can get out of prison. It's so that God's word can get in. That's what he's saying. To be heard clearly within that prison where he's at. How much does Paul love God's word? Think about that. How much does Paul love God's word that he's not trying to get out of prison? He's trying to get God's word in prison. And he's praying that these people hear it clearly. How much do you love God's word? Where's your Bible? Can you write in the dust on it? You go, when's the last time you opened it? I know everything's digital now, but so what? When's the last time you opened that? When's the last time you looked at it? Would you make the same prayer that Paul made if you were in prison? Or would you be saying, Lord, please get me out of here. I'll go preach more. Just get me out of here. Or would you be saying, Lord, bring your word to me and give me clarity to preach it? Man. Revelation 3, verse 8. The only church here in this list of seven that gets you know, no chastisement. He says, I know, he's talking to Philadelphia as the church, and he says, I know your works. Behold, God speaking, or Jesus speaking here. Yeah, well, God, Jesus, same. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, 
and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So he set a door open for them because they've kept his word. Would you be able to use God's word if God did open a door for you? Pray for open doors. What if he opens one? Would you be able to use his word there? Paul says that it's a mystery here, this mystery. And, and he seeks prayer on being able to communicate it, not because he doesn't know what the mystery is. He knows. And not because he wants some kind of supernatural knowledge, like weird mystery thing like that. Not that. He's looking for the ability to communicate what he's already learned from a lifetime of study and the wisdom provided from the Holy Spirit to recognize that it's Christ that he's learned through his lifetime of study in the Old Testament. And he wants to be able to take that, wow, all of this book was about Jesus. That's a mystery. Like I had no idea I knew the book, but I didn't realize until Christ came into my life that it's all about him. So help me be able to communicate that mystery clearly is what he's saying. First Corinthians one twenty two, Paul wrote, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's a joke. It's folly to the Gentiles that, that, that the Messiah would be crucified. That's the mystery. But to those who are called by God, called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul's seeking that God would clarify his words, Paul's words, and that people would respond. Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, all of them. In fact, Romans 10 verse 13, Paul also wrote, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on on him in whom they've not believed on how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard and here it is how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news so paul is saying i want to preach this kind of message i want to be clear with the gospel i've been called i've been sent to preach i want to preach the gospel clearly and he's asking for this opportunity, even in prison, to anybody that will listen. And he's asking for prayer that God will make it so. Again, First Timothy 2, verse 1, Paul wrote, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Man, that's a great statement. Romans 15, verse 20, Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. His desire is to preach God's word, in this case, in a prison, but in a place where it will be heard among people who've never heard it. And in, and because of that, he wants to be able to communicate it clearly. He wants to be able to take the mystery of the Messiah who was crucified for our sins and be able to make that clear. And he's asking for God to do that. You ever heard a bad example of somebody sharing the gospel 
or preaching. It's boring. It's rude. You know, I'm sure you've heard these things. They're obviously making a project out of somebody, trying to get another, you know, check by their name for one more I won to Jesus. You know what I mean? Paul wanted none of that junk. He just wanted his words to lead to genuine salvation. God, please use my words, my mouth, to bring people to you. That's what he's saying. Uh, I remember preaching. I remember preaching uh, forever ago, it seems like now, for a student venture event in uh, Tennessee, East Tennessee. And I, I don't remember why, but for whatever reason, I preached on the plagues. And I think I was asked to, but I was remember I remember thinking that, man, this is going to be cool and fun, but I, I don't know what the gospel presentation looks like in the plagues. <laughs> but I remember I did preach it. I had a good time with it. And these are teenagers that are at Student Venture. And so sometime later, I don't know, maybe six, eight months, maybe even a year later, my, my wife and I uh, are at a dinner fundraiser for Student Venture, and there are tables everywhere there's several hundred people there for this event and uh they had student venture leadership had several uh students get up and kind of share how their life had been impacted or changed by student venture one got up a girl i'll never forget and she started to tell her testimony and how she came to know jesus and about the night that some guy was there in her uh church and was preaching about the plagues and she went on to explain, I don't remember, but how she gave her life to Christ that night. And I, I realized she was talking about me, and it blew my mind. I had no idea that that impacted that girl like that. I didn't know. But that's the idea is that you preach God's word, and you say, God, use your word. Bring it through an open door and change somebody's life. Change somebody's life. And I'm not telling you that story about the girl to brag about me because I didn't even know what happened. I'm bragging about his word. Speak God's word with clarity and then pray that it enters open doors. You understand what I'm saying? Speak God's word with clarity, God's word with clarity, and then pray that it enters open doors. So, speak with clarity, speak with spice. Uh, Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, unbelievers, making the best use of time. He's not just talking about the days and times you live in. He's talking about opportunities, times of opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay? So walk here is your Christian life, how you're living your Christian life. And Paul says to live in wisdom when it comes to outsiders, specifically so, or unbelievers. He's talking about live, live in wisdom with unbelievers. Now, he's not saying avoid sinners. You know, and he's not saying, you know, hey, keep them at bay. Or not. In fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying be a witness to them, but do it wisely. For instance, don't use Christianese. Don't be wise enough to know they don't know what you're talking about. All right? Uh, don't appear holier than thou. There's a difference between righteousness and putting your righteousness, putting your righteousness out in front of people's faces. All right, that, that's what he's getting at. And he says, let your speech be gracious or full of grace. 
Let your speech be full of grace. Let it be. Believer, it's up to you to decide to do that. What kind of talk is filled with grace? What kind of talk is filled with grace towards outsiders? Remember, that's what he's saying. What would it sound like? Patient, forgiving, loving, full of hope, soft-spoken, passionate, but not angry. I mean, think about it. Grace, right? Why would outsiders or unbelievers need grace? Especially in how they're hearing what you say. Duh. I don't even have to answer that. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, Gordon Ramsay's Hell's Kitchen. My wife and I have watched it for years. I used to be a chef, so, um, you know, it fascinates me. But anyway, Molly loves it too, and we both watched it for a long time. But they do a couple of things on that show. One thing they do is they try to identify what something is strictly by taste. So they cover their eyes, they cover their ears where they can't hear anything, and then they put this food, he puts his food in their mouth, and they have to try to identify what it is. Has another thing he does where he tries to match ingredients on a dish, and they have to they have to cook it, they taste it, they get to look at it and taste it, and they have to cook it identically uh, to, uh, to what, what it was. They have to taste it and figure out what's in there. And... Good food should always be seasoned perfectly, and the spice should be just right so that it makes you ask, what's in that? Which is kind of the point of his te- his test there. If it tastes just right and it's seasoned just right, should make you ask, like, what is that? What's that flavor? What's that taste? And I love the imagery here of seasoning in Paul's talk when he's talking about God's word. Seasoning. Spice, it makes people wonder what's in it. What's in, excuse me, what's in God's word? What's in the word here? It makes them enjoy what they're tasting, but it also makes them want to know more about it. That's the beauty of seasoning and spice. And Paul specifically references salt here. It seasons, obviously, but it also creates thirst. And we could look at a lot of different aspects of salt. But I think this is the one I like the best in this case. It creates thirst. There's a reason you get free chips at the Mexican restaurant. You know, there's a reason you get pretzels if you're, and peanuts if you're at the bar, if they still do that. I don't know. I haven't sat at a bar in a million years. But the point is that the salt makes you drink more. The salt makes you drink more. How amazing would it be if our language, when talking you know, about God's word with others, especially outsiders, uh, made them thirsty for more. How awesome would it be if just the way we spoke about it made them thirsty for more? Like we, we open God's word and we share it with an unbeliever. And it's not about some speech or preparation or prepared program or any of that. It's just about, man, you're not going to believe what, what's in God's word. And it makes them hungry for more in just the way that we're saying it. Paul takes it further and says that salt is also so that you know how you should answer someone, basically everyone, he says, each person, how to answer each person. Now, he's not talking about an argument here because he says everybody, each person. He's not talking about an argument when somebody challenges you. It's wisdom to know how much salt to add at the right time. It's wisdom to know how much of that salt you're supposed to be adding at the right time into your conversation. Uh, 
It's knowing how to respond to people in a way that creates thirst, uh, while also being completely pleasing. It's learning how to speak in a way that, that people are pleased with and satisfied with, but also want more or want to know more. That's what he's talking about in each and every situation. Um, learn to be a person that speaks with spice, man. That speaks with seasoning in your talk. People find that fascinating. Learn to be that kind of person who creates thirst with thought, with salt from what you say. Because God's word is finding an open door in our prayer life. All right? God's word is finding an open door in our prayer life. And then our prayers become that God, that same open door for God's word would be in others' lives. That's where our hearts should go. And it's modeled in our walk, in our lifestyle. And it becomes seasoned with salt when our mouths open. And it creates that desire in others to see. So, verse 4, verse 6, as we as I finish up here, they both share the phrase, ought to speak. I like that. Both of those verses share the phrase, ought to speak. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, 13 Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. I love that. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible, we believe and so we speak. If you've ever noticed, or excuse me, if you've never, if you've never understood the gospel, if you've never noticed the gospel at work around you, I'm sorry, but it is. But if you don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. If you never understood the gospel, if you don't get what the big deal is about Jesus, it, it, or, or why we care that we're presenting him right and not just in in talk all around all around the you know, hey, we're tell him, tell him, tell him, tell her, tell her, tell her, tell him. But instead, we're concerned that people understand who Jesus is. Uh, if, if that's something that you don't get or you don't really understand why we make such a big deal out of it, let me tell you why right now. Let me tell you why. Because the stakes can't get any higher. The stakes cannot get any higher. They are as high as they can get. If the Bible is true, listen to me, if the Bible is true, if Jesus is not a liar, and we believe both are true, then you, like all of mankind, are a sinner in the eyes of God. It's a fact. You're a sinner in the eyes of God. Now, before you jump to assume, oh, God's hateful, so hey, I knew it, understand two things here, really quick, two things. Number one, pointing out your sin is actually a gift. Okay, It's actually a gift because you know where you stand with God. You know where you stand with God, and Christianity is unique in that. You don't have to wonder whether you're good enough. You're not. It's settled with Christianity. All right, But there's also number two, so don't freak out. There's also number two, because God so loved the world, and that includes you. God so loved the world that he didn't leave us without hope. That he didn't leave us without hope. Instead, he sent his only son, Jesus, 
He sent his only son, Jesus, to live the perfect life you couldn't live. All right? To die the death you deserve to die. To rise from a grave that you could never escape in order to offer you the life that only he really deserves. That's the gospel. And it's accessed through faith. So let me ask you. Do you believe what I'm saying? Do you believe God's word? Do you believe what you're hearing? Can you confess that you believe him? Can you trust him? Then do it however you want. Get on your knees. Go outside and shout at the sky. uh, Pull your car over. I don't care how you do it. Just tell him that. I believe you, Jesus. I believe you are who you say you are. I accept that I am a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. Guide me. Walk me. I'm I'm not trying to give you something to say. I'm just telling you, say it in your own words however you want, but confess these things if you believe them to be true. And as a result of that, the gospel becomes your hope. Christ says you are a new creation. The old has passed away or saved. You are saved. That's a beautiful thing. And when it happens, I want you to shout at us. Tell us. Give us a call. Give us a uh, hit us up online so we can connect with you. You need to be around guys uh, or men, women that will help walk with you and get you into his word. And and lastly, you know, if you're a believer, again, I'll be honest. I, I mean, I struggle with presenting the gospel sometimes. I really do. And it's not that I'm afraid, it's more like I'm wondering if I'm making any sense. Is what I'm saying making any sense at all? Or, or am I leaving something out? Did I forget to say something? Or did I say something wrong? You know, did I say something mistakenly? It slipped out while I wasn't thinking? And I'm wondering if people are hearing my heart when my mouth can't find the right way to express it. And I'll be honest with you, it's not my first prayer that I get better at presenting the gospel. But I'm confessing to you that it should be. And I pray that we would all, as brothers and sisters, make that our number one prayer. Lord, I love you, and I pray that you do help me be better at sharing the gospel. Help us all to. That you would open doors for your word to come out of our mouth with clarity. Uh, Lord, that your word would come out of our mouth seasoned uh, that people would wonder what's, what more is there in it and that they would find you, Lord Jesus, that they would surrender to you and give their life to you. I love you. Thank you for your word. And we ask it in Christ's name.